welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm Hardy White. Oh, that just dawned on me. How about that? Join me now, won't you? Hopefully we'll have some fun. And maybe we won't learn anything. For once... Funny mind. Funny mind. Funny mind. Funny mind. Welcome to A Funny Mind, a show that explores how funny the mind is. What a funny mind we have. Do you mind? When Gertrude Stein lay dying, Alice Toklas looked over at her and said, Oh, Gertrude, what is the answer? What is the answer? And Gertrude looked up at her and said, Well, that's the question. And the reason I do it in that voice is because I heard that from Shelley Berman, the late comedian. When I heard that story as a young person, I did not know who Gertrude Stein was or Alice B. Toklas was, and I didn't know that that was based on a true apocryphal incident. What? Isn't that a contradiction? What I mean is, everybody understood that that was something that was purported to have happened. And Shelley Berman was joking about it, and I was listening to the joke and not really getting it. What was the question? As Uncle Edwin lay dying, I decided to ask him about this Japanese officer's sword in my possession. How is it that I have this, Uncle Edwin? Where did you get it? I came about it secondhand, but I know that it was originally yours. And so he told me the story of acquiring the sword. But to tell me the story that happened in the 1940s, he had to tell me a story before it about transporting a jeep on an airplane. So it was a very long story, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, he's on his deathbed. I'm thinking, get to the swords. I'm not, are you going to get even get to the swords? The reason he had to do that, you see, I know now, because he wasn't remembering it. He was telling the story that he knew that piece of information was in. So he wasn't searching his brain for things that happened in 1940s. He wasn't saying to me, wait a minute. That was a... He had told that story already, probably recently, at least a few years. And so he didn't really have to remember it or go back that far to get it. You are listening to Miracle Nutrition, and I am Hardy White. Who are you, Hardy? What is this radio show? I haven't heard any music yet. Oh, I'm sorry. This is one of those shows where I never quite get to playing the music. You say, oh, I'd rather hear these things than hear the talk. But I don't really see any difference. Listening is listening. Music, what is it anyway? This is WFMU, so sometimes we might play something that sounds like the wind humming through a forest. And in that forest... There's some machinery or something. And then someone belching. So is that not music? It depends. It depends on what you're noticing. How much of it you're noticing and perceiving. Like when you're listening to your washer and dryer. Right? And it's going... And then Elmo goes, hey, that sounds like a song. Because I was watching Elmo in Grouchland. And... That happens. The washer and dryer starts making that rhythmic song, and they, they start jamming. They start saying, well, this could be a, uh, sort of like a drum circle, but with a mechanical element to it. And so they've noticed it, and then it becomes music. So it's really about what you focus on. What are you getting to? Oh, you're going to see. You're going to be so excited. Because this is ultimately a show about time. And people who have listened to it for a long time, because it's been on the air for a while, or so I say, although the evidence is scant, 
they know that I am really speaking about two things. One is time, and the other is you. That's the biggest questions I have. Who am I? And also, what time is it? I say it like that because to honor the late Jim Varney. I am in Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> I couldn't say it properly because we have a lot of bourbon here. And I, well, I don't drink it. It's in everything. And you just, if you touch your face, you get so drunk. Just because of the bourbon, there's so much thick bourbon in the air. And so a lot of times I'll slur my words like that. And so again, it's not because I've been drinking. Jim Varney uh, used to live here, and he's buried here. He did not live here while he was famous. He lived here while he was young and then dead, which is a great place. That's what I want my hometown to be. You know, you come up in it, and you're buried in it. But the rest all takes place in Los Angeles and New York. That's fine. That's a, what a fine life that would be, or Paris. I think Paris and Tokyo for me because I'm an international figure. I'm not. Oh, my goodness. I'm not, and I probably won't be because of my uh, crippling social anxiety. But, oh, what an imagination I have. Oh, the places I can go in my brain. It's very uh, frustrating to others because they go, well, you haven't really done that thing. I go, I feel like I have, but you haven't. I don't know. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I have. Oh, it doesn't work that way. It does for me. So I can't imagine things pretty thoroughly. Oh, you're like that British children's book character, Mr. Ben. And no, I'm not. But I will be talking about time and things like that again because, oh my goodness, what I do have in common with all people is I'm confused. Some of you aren't confused. That's wonderful. And I know you're not listening to the show right now because you're you're so not confused that you know what I'm going to say. I know I, I, what this stuff is. I know I don't like it. All right. So I'm moving on. Good. So that's good because you already know what I'm going to say, don't you? Yes. All right. I've heard this talk stuff. Good for you. What I have, though, a lot of times, I don't have friends, um, a college friend on the other side of the table who looks just like me who's laughing and cutting me off. I wish I did sometimes. I just sit here alone with my own thoughts. But I have so many other voices in my head. Believe me, they're interrupting. Oh my gosh, they're shouting out things. Tell jokes. I can't think of any. I've, I do have that. I think. So. Oh, often you say funny things. I don't know how or why. I am unable to reproduce it on cue. This is my friendly friend, Hardy. I know I'm doomed from that point on. I go, oh, that's going to kill it. Because I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just so confused. That's funny, I think, to people. You know, am I laughing? Are you laughing with me or at me? I can't tell, which is wonderful. Thank you. It's radio. When you're in a live performance situation, you go, what are those laughs? Are they the right kind? And why do people laugh? They laugh when they're uncomfortable, too. Comedians discover that. And they go, I could just get up here and, and talk about my genitals. And, and who knows why they're laughing? And sometimes just laughing because you said something clever, cutting an aha kind of laugh. Oh, I never thought of that. Um, puns, which are uh, could be hurtful. How? Well... If you've ever been around somebody who puns, you realize that often uh, they will make a pun while you're saying something serious, and you're thinking, they are not listening to the substance of what I'm saying. They're listening to the words, and they're trying to associate just from them, and they're not really concerned with what my inner landscape is. What is your inner landscape? Oh, it's be uh, it's, it's beautiful. Oh, it's been highly manicured my inner landscape it's uh gorgeous it's uh, been designed by who's the fellow that did i forgot his name that uh that did uh it'll come to me did what i'm not gonna say because then you'll shout it out just say it olmstead oh central park exactly 
Frederick Law Olmsted. I couldn't think of it for a minute. I'm sorry, and I didn't want to say Central Park because then you'd be going, Frederick Law Olmsted, Frederick Law Olmsted. And I had a parrot who did that, and he's gone now, and you probably know why. Frederick Law Olmsted also, I believe, had a sort of Abraham Isaac relationship with his son who went on and did a wonderful half-assed version of his father's life. I like a lot of us do that. They go, I want to be, I don't know, Frank Sinatra Jr. That's who I want to be. Dad's already done it all. I sort of feel that way, even though I had no relationship with my father. I go, well, whatever he did, and I'm not sure, it's been done. I'll just uh, do a kind of copy version of that. I've never been sure what to do. They say, what are you going to do with your life? I go, well, A, I don't know how long it's going to be, so I don't know how to plan. I'm not sure what's happened already, so I'm not sure what my life is, in fact, so I don't know what to do with it. But then I say, what are you going to do with your life? I go, well, how long am I going to live? No one knows. Then I'm not sure I can plan very well. Plan as if you're going to live for a long, long time. I had a neighbor, and I'll tell you her name because she's now she's deceased, Miss Lillian Cox. And I even believe that Barbara Walters had her on a special of of, of centarians, of people over a hundred that were just living life like nothing's changed. And she was for a while, at I believe 105, the oldest licensed driver. And she would drive around in this old white Cadillac and she had a white bouffant. And uh, she lived around the corner from me. And now she retired, she had a dress store in Tallahassee, Florida. And she retired from that store, I think in her late 60s or something, her husband died. And she had that meager money from that. And then she lives like another 45 years or something after that. And her message to Barbara Walters was, I'm broke! Like that, she's yelled everything. But it's true. It's like, who plans on living that long? Are you supposed to? Now, what's say you plan on living that long, but you don't. You got all, you die with all this money in the bank, and you thought, oh, the chocolates I could have had. So it's sort of hard to plan. Well, I'm going to be talking about uh, time now, because I've, you say, you have a time machine. I do have a time machine. I talk about it all the time, and we go places. The other day, I'm reading the New York Times, and um, one of the Ezra's has a interview with uh, the neuroscientist uh, uh, Dean Bonamano. Am I saying his name right? Bonamano? Bonamano. And uh, he wrote a book called Your Brain is a Time Machine, which is the name of this show. I just don't tell anybody that. I'm going to sue him. No, I'm not. I'm kidding. But uh, I should have named it that. Miracle Nutrition. That's what that means, though. Miracle Nutrition means... Your brain is a time machine. And I've said this all the whole, if you've listened to the show, you understand what I mean. Uh, what memory has to do with time. What prediction has to do with time. And we, we, we talk about nothing else on this show. What do you remember? Why do you remember? What are you noticing? When you hear things, are they music or are they nonsense? Are you seeing patterns and then using that to predict the future? How accurate is your prediction? How accurate is your memory? Where are you? When are you? Who are you? I read the book, The Power of Nothingness, that was uh, written by Alexandra Dabeneil and Yama Longden. And uh, I won't go into talking about them, but this is a fiction book that they wrote, kind of a mystery and in it, it has an interesting detail, and that is that the main character discovers that a mural that he's looking at is actually a representation of time, that it's all laid out, that time is this static mural, and that it's the process of moving his eye and focusing on certain parts of that mural that creates the illusion of past, present, and future. 
So past is what he just looked at, present is what he's currently focusing on, and future is what he focuses on next. So it's not a static, it's not a dynamic thing, it's sort of static, but that's just because that's a two-dimensional representation of it. So this idea that all time is happening for, at once is in my New York Times there. I'm reading, I'm saying, oh, goodness. Yes, we talk about these things, and we talk about how, the, how your brain perceives time. I just don't use science. I'm just a user. I didn't make a brain. I don't take them open. I don't take them apart. I had a cousin that used to rip apart radios and go, do you know how they work now? No. So, you know, that's the thing. I took a watch apart one time. And I did learn how it worked, but then I couldn't do anything with that knowledge because I had ruined it. I guess I could have learned how to put it back together, but I didn't. And sometimes that we do have to wreck things to examine them, don't we? I guess we mess them up. But the show's been moving through time, and the show has memories, and that's interesting. I try to, you know, give you something fresh, every week, but I only have one message, and I have a very limited amount of uh, things to say, really. I have to go out and do new things, but are they really new? And then I share you with you these details, and you might remember them for a while, and then you don't. Most of the time when I speak to listeners, they tell me about feelings they've had. Maybe they'll say a specific thing, oh, you joked one time about earwigs, and I haven't forgotten that in a long time, and I just heard a story today from a, a friend of a friend who knows somebody as a friend of a doctor in the ER. And a child came in. It wasn't the ER. No, it was, a, it was going in for surgery. That's it. It was head and neck surgery because the child had some kind of clogged ear ducts. But when they got in there, what they found was a dead cricket. And I'm not kidding. There's a dead cricket in this young man's ear. And they pulled it out and they go, well, that's got to be like 90% of the problem. Nobody knew it was in there. Oh, Hardy, you talked about earwigs crawling in. I know. And when, that, uh, when I said that, the earwig in my head was like, have you ever heard of an earwig doing that? <laughs> no. Then why do you call us that? Um, Crickets are the real earwigs. All right. I'm sorry. So <coughs> I didn't say what kind of cricket. I'm thinking maybe a cave cricket. They're so horrible. Why are they horrible? Well, I don't know of any other insect or anything really that will self-cannibalize and a, and a cave cricket will eat its own legs and I just have never been that hungry and I've got fine legs my legs are appetizing looking but I've never really been that hungry I thought no I'm not going to take a I'm not going to take a bite out of my calf I don't care how good it looks um what's and I burnt my skin it doesn't sound appetizing to me though What's that smell? Oh, it's my burning fingers or something. Um, so no, I'm not going to do that. And so I don't understand the cave cricket crawling in ears and things like that. The cricket's not the only thing that gets inside your head without your permission. Oh my goodness, what we notice really changes all the time. Sometimes we have a conscious control over it. So you go into a situation, you go into a party, let's say, and you walk into the party and you look around and you say, I don't really know anybody. So when you say, I don't really know anybody, um, that's what you remember. You don't remember the individual faces that you didn't know necessarily. Why would you? How, how could you? So yes, here's the, here's the list of the people I didn't know. One was wearing, nope, goes unnoticed. Now, it might be there. Maybe you could hypnotize somebody into remembering it, but largely a lot of things you block out. If you look around the room and there are just some things that aren't important. So I walked into the place where my nephew's wedding was going to be, and there was pictures on the wall. I know there were. Do I remember what they were? No, they were so unimportant to me. And I'm not even sure they were there. I'm just kind of guessing. I bet, they, I bet there were, but now I don't know. Maybe if I thought hard. But the only things I can really remember, the things that I've already sort of storified that I can tell because I planned on telling them and I noticed them on purpose. And some things you notice without, you know, not on purpose, they might surprise you. And they go, ooh, you know, uh, 
an animal came in while we were there. Uh, a forest creature came in in a little vest looking for his motor car, he said. And we we're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on here. There's some fanciful creatures coming out of the forest. You'd remember that. Um, but you still couldn't make sense of it. So the next time you went to a wedding, you might learn, uh, use the things that you observed at the first one to predict what's going to happen at the second one. And I've been to enough now that there's a sort of template. And I go, okay, I know there might be, you know, two people. I bet they walk down an aisle or something. They love to do that. And then they walk up to a something, another person. So generally, I've used that to the first time I saw a wedding. I didn't know what was going on, and I don't really remember it. It must have been when I was three, and I'm pretty sure it was my uncle's. But I remember nothing about it, except it was in Pittsburgh. It had to be. That's what I'm told by my mother. She helps me remember things by telling me things about my life that I'm not sure are true. And I've put them there just like they're facts. There was a time, remember, when you did this, that, and the other thing. Oh, I remember when you stole all my jewelry, you're playing pirate, and you stole all my jewelry, and you wrapped it up in a napkin, and you buried it in the backyard. <laughs> I remember that too, Mama, actually. That's horrifying. I do, to this day, remember things I did that were uh, hurtful. They do sort of uh, stick with me because I kept remembering them. Uh, I remembered that right after it happened, and I would revisit it every once in a while when you close your eyes. You know, Those things become fresh. You refresh them. So they're not retrieved from very far. You just were using them. You know where they are. They're not... They're not very hidden. Now, what are you noticing now? What are you remembering now? And do you need to remember anything? That's the thing when I tell people when they listen to my show. You don't really need to remember anything because it's like a conversation with a friend. You don't remember all the... Uh, did you ever get off the phone with somebody you haven't seen in a long time? And uh, your, your partner or someone will say, What did you talk to Steve about? And you go, I... Stuff? I don't know. Well, what? I don't know, it's like all over the place. I don't, it's weird that I don't remember, but I kind of don't remember. It just felt like an experience. And while we were talking, we were remembering all sorts of things. You remember that time that we drove to Columbus, Georgia to see Tony Bennett and Tony Bennett in a small theater. And he said, I love these small theaters. I love these small theaters. Fly me to the moon. And then he's like, does it without the mic. And can we turn the house lights down? And they don't because there's nobody on the house lights. And, oh, it's wonderful. All these memories come flooding back, and we talk about them like they were yesterday. And then here I am telling you. Now, if you were to go and say, uh, you know, tell me some more things about the theater, what the outside looked like. It all falls apart like a dream. The reason I know that all these uh, neuroscientists probably got their ideas from my show is because uh, they know that the minute Hardy White started talking about the myth of the yellow millet dream, the minute I started talking about the idea that you can live a whole lifetime in a dream, that that was a key to understanding your perception while you're awake, that your perception of time. And then they go, oh my gosh, that Hardy is right. And they run to their calculators and they go, I'm going to write this up in smart people talk. No, they really are smarter than me. And it has to do with memory and prediction. And I'm okay with that. So we all, we all don't remember at the same rate or the same stuff. So I have a friend who has an amazing memory. You teach him something once, he's got it. And so he's a very accomplished person. I mean, any kind of math or anything, got it, got it. This just remembers it. And I, I don't have a memory like that. And consequently, I can't make predictions as accurately either. Don't always know what's going to happen because I don't have as many patterns as this other person does. Now, their experience from moment to moment, does that affect it in any way? Yes and no. You know, we're still uh, creatures. We're still sort of stuck 
with all these feelings and things interfering. We're not perfect little memory machines. There's stuff bombarding us. As you're trying to concentrate on the moment, there's, there's, they're throwing eggs at you and tennis balls at your head. That's what it's like living your life. Is it in a perfect environment? I think I could remember everything and be present, and, but that's not the way it works. You just have to do this in chaos with people poking you in the ear and the eye, with bugs crawling in your ears. And it's very difficult. And it hurts. And it can, uh, pain is real. And you say, oh, you're talking about time and all this and everything. What about the pain? And what about death? What am I supposed to make of all this misery? I want you to just crawl into the present with me and say that we have a little more control over time than you think we do. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Oh, yes. I think so. And uh, why? Because it, uh, it helps me with my pain, at least. <laughs> don't deny me that. This, uh, oh, this coffee I'm drinking makes everything better. No, it doesn't. Who says it doesn't? So uh, a lot of those things are just, you know, ex experiential. And I've got to admit, that's how I use a lot of information and things. Is it going to make me feel better? Or if it makes me feel bad, is it going to move me towards doing something that makes things better? And, you know, that's all about prediction, too. If you say, well, I want to sacrifice myself for the greater good, then you must imagine it. You must be seeing into the future. You must understand that a thing you do now can make something else reality, or it's required for a reality that already is. Oh, I don't know, and part of me doesn't care. It's all, it's all right to vacillate also between caring and not caring about stuff like that. Because it does. You reach a saturation point. And you go, I'm, I like that. I read science for laymen a lot. And... You know, you read something, you go, well, my brain's full. Or you go, you go, you know what? This crap doesn't matter. And, you, and, you're, and you're right. And then it does matter. It matters and it doesn't matter. But it can't always matter to you because you might be in a different state of mind. And it might not. You know, like uh, I remember that scene in the, uh, in the Sopranos. It's one of the first scenes. It's before Tony Soprano is the boss. And the, the current boss is laying dying of cancer and he's terrified and he's dying and they're all coming in and making small talk and he's just doesn't have a dog in the fight anymore and he's just not on the same reality as they are and it's very striking you know it's it has to do with time and the future and all that they he just doesn't have a future that he's projecting and so he doesn't have the concerns that they do he doesn't care about the present or the past the way they do. And that really struck me. I thought, this is very different from other shows that I have seen. I like this a lot. And, um, you know, the only thing I've seen this good before was Rockford Files. Now, we have lost uh, this week an actor from Rockford, Rockford Files. Uh, Stuart Margolin has, has, uh, has, has moved on. And uh, he was 82, the actor that played Angel Martin on the Rockford Files. We all love that Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy. And you know that we, this show loves that show. So, uh, salute. Also lost Angelo Badalamente, the uh, Brooklyn-born uh, middle school music teacher who became the music behind all of David Lynch's greatest stuff and he wrote all the Twin Peaks music which is just beyond amazing in my opinion if it was just if Twin Peaks was just the music Dainu I think that'd be enough if it was just an album of his stuff I go that's really something else that it's m married to visually appealing stuff is even better oh sometimes we're lucky it's the feelings it gives me and the memory of the feeling. And the anticipation of the future feeling. Oh, and they're all welled up. The future ruins the present for me a lot because of my anxiety. I'm always, because of my bad memory, seeing a future that's not, probably not accurate. 
And so I live in a bit of a state of fear and um, caution because I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen because I don't exactly remember what already happened or I begin to doubt it. I always doubt the things that have happened to me because sometimes they're really radically different than what other people remember. And I know that that's why we often pool our memories to see what really happened. I mean, if there's an event, you know, you talk to as many witnesses as possible and you try to, what they say, put together a picture. But you'll never put together that picture, really, because that picture has almost an infinite amount of detail and you never saw it all. And really what you're seeing is just a vague, you're getting a vague impression. And that's because you're getting a vague impression of the present. My senses are not that accurate. Uh... All sorts of things are interfering with my ability to concentrate. It's made me, as a person, more immediate. That's why I tell people I love them or I appreciate them. Because I need them. It just makes you need more people. And if you need them, you don't want them to reject you. you know, so I've, I really literally need you. I don't know what I would do without, without others. Now, I like to be alone, but I like to be protected alone. So you say, oh, you're in your, I love my alone time. But you know maybe there's people watching out for you. I mean, if that alone time was in a cave and there were just vicious things out to get you all around it and you were shaking and hiding, that's no good. That's different than what I think you mean, which is like, I like to catch up on Murder, She Wrote. And I just like to relax and I love my uh, cocoa and my, and I watched Jessica, uh, Jessica Fletcher. Um, and I, and I sip my cacao, and I watch her solve murders, and the whole world just sort of melts away, and I don't think about all the violence and murder in the world. I just got murder she wrote, and I don't have to think about books or writing or things like that or television. I can just concentrate on murder she wrote and that's what i want this show to be for you say i'm going to catch up on miracle nutrition i'm going to start uh memorizing it so that i can write my thesis on it no 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 one's going to say that i don't think that's happened to has that happened to anybody in radio i should go look does anybody ever write their thesis about gene shepherd or something i say maybe yes there's been books i guess on on people I'm, I, there, uh, there's going to be a book about me after I die. <laughs> I could say that and believe it. I could believe that, and, you, and you'd be mad at me. But what harm is that? You know, I won't. And also, that's why, that's why we get we get so jealous of other people's uh, happiness or just absence of pain sometimes, because we we don't we're not sure if they deserve it. And so we really like what we when we really like to love people is after they're dead, because now we know they're not enjoying it. So we can be, you know, they're not getting away with anything now. Now I can praise them. I just want I didn't want to do it when they're alive because I didn't want it to swell their head and them to get a too good a feeling of themselves. And that is so good. We're all looking out for one another's character that way. So I don't want to, you know, and it's kind of ridiculous, but. Uh, yeah, so we praise the dead, or you can say stuff about them, too, if you don't want to say it to their face. Go to the cemetery. And so how many times at the cemetery recently? And I thought, a lot of, better, a lot of people come here and, and, like, stand in front of a grave and go, well, now I can tell you, Jimmy, how I really feel. And go, you idiot. <laughs> All right. Good. I'm glad you saved it till now. Oh, don't want everybody. Don't make yourself vulnerable. By telling somebody you love them or appreciate them, I don't care, man. At some point in my life, the the thing that made me able to to fully love or be a friend happened when I just absolutely hit bottom, symbolically died, let go of my pride, stopped being so uh, arrogant. I didn't realize I, I was arrogant. I was disguising it as vulnerability. And though hopefully not a vulnerable narcissist clinically, we all do sometimes become uh, whiners. 
say, well, I just think I would just wish my life would be different or I wish I'd have success. And I did that for a long time. I didn't know even what success was. I just went, I want a job or I'm doing something that I love. What was that? I don't know. Or you say something vague like, writing? I didn't know what I didn't know. So, you know, you, you fully fall apart. Then you realize that, gosh, I don't, if I don't care what anybody thinks about me, instead of being crummy, why don't I just be my fully, like, um, loving self? Why don't I emancipate myself? Why don't I just break free and say, you know, admit my vulnerability, not so somebody can help me, but I can help them. And, and uh, then I can tell somebody how I really feel. If they do something, I'm even, it doesn't make me jealous anymore. Other people's success, because I realize, I go, oh, I know it's waiting for all of us. You know, no one escapes it. And no one escapes not only their own life, but uh, uh, death, but the death of those they love and everything. So some of these people that you say, oh, this guy, this guy is so good, that she, she's got it so good, you know, you don't know their pain. Who knows? Who knows? And sometimes the pain's enormous. And sometimes it's enormous for people who aren't famous or successful. or so Don't look at any of that anymore. Just see everybody as a, a creature, as a, a person, as a child, a grown child that knows really no more than they did when they were brand new, and they will go to their grave without having figured everything out. That's each and every one of us. Oh, and then we can pretend in between it's fine. But I'm telling you that I believe uh, when we cast aside that, that fear of one another, that uh, fear of being lesser, then we can help each other attain a wonderful thing. And that's almost a sort of uh, immortality in each other. You know, some religions require a minimum amount of people to do certain things because there is a minimum amount of people required to lose yourself, to have that feeling that I belong in something. There's something that's bigger than me. Look at all these other folks. I can, I am, there's visual evidence that I am a small part of a larger thing. And the burden feels lesser to me. You know, I feel like uh, I'm expanding. I feel like someone, when I'm in a group of people like that and we're all focusing our energies, let's say it's grieving or let's say it's celebrating, let's say it's a wedding or a funeral, and we're all around and all of our, I imagine all of our ancestors there, everybody, the descendants are all there. It's all one. It's all happening at once. It's all an island in time. It's outside of time. Just like this show is outside of time. I'm not saying that this show is a Sabbath. But it is sort of in a non-religious way. It is a moment that occurs at the same time every week and that is really indiscernible from the last one, just like Shabbat dinners might be, just like Christmases sometimes are. They're outside of regular time. And I want that for you. Last week's show, I was looking at some of the comments and someone says, is this a repeat? Is this future or is it past? As they say in Twin Peaks, as the late Al Strobel, who we also just lost from Twin Peaks. They're dropping like flies from Twin Peaks. That will be one of those shows where like everybody would be the last surviving cast members will be on a on a special. I'm watching in the future. I'm gonna make a prediction right now. Carl McLaughlin will live to be 107. I really believe that. So anyway, uh, and they'll want him to do, do you think you'll reprise your role? I doubt it. And uh, I, I, I wonder about this, uh, this show for you. Do you listen to them out of order? Oh, I want you to. Oh, are we on a car trip right now? Where are we going? 
I'll tell you, I've taken a lot of car trips and they also blend together. I have a recurring dream and the recurring dream is I'm leaving a hotel room. And as I'm leaving the hotel room, I realize there are things in the hotel room I can't transport. Like I'll look up and I'll I'll think, oh, good God, that's my dresser. I brought my dresser? You know, how am I going to get this? Like a, you know, or chest of drawers or something? How am I going to get that home? My desk is here. I don't even know. I think I flew. You know, how am I going to get this stuff out of the hotel room? And is it all right to leave the hotel room and leave your stuff there? I don't even know how that works. Can we come back later? I have this dream so much. And that I'm, I'm always leaving my stuff behind because I didn't realize that I'd made some kind of permanent camp of this temporary place, just like I'm doing in life. And uh, maybe if I was kind of less attached in reality, I'd be less attached in my dreams. I wouldn't be. I'd be okay from flitting to one place to the other without feeling that I had left a responsibility behind or abandoned someone. I also feel that way with people. I can never find the people I'm with. I'm panicking. I'm in my dream. I'm trying to dial my... Boy, God, I hate dream phones so much. You can't dial a phone in a dream. You cannot dial your cell phone in a dream. It won't connect the way you think it's going to connect. And I remember uh, an element in After Hours, the movie After Hours, where he's um, trying to dial a number and she just keeps yelling random numbers at him and he just can't do it. And that is a absolute, a dream feature where you just, I got to get out of here. I got to call home and you, it's just impossible. And I'm wondering if there's any state of mind you can be in where it's just, there's no phone in your dream like that, where there's no time crunch where there's no feeling of anxiety. Oh, if this is the only time a week that somebody can recognize your struggle, oh, I'm so glad for that. I could have gone another way. I thought I'd be off, but I really did. Here's what I thought. I thought, Hardy, you do your thing, and it's gonna, people are going to say, well, that's lacking, or that's not organized enough, or something like that. And I'll go, well, that's fine. They'll just fire me. They'll just kick me off the radio. And that's great. I'll just do it up till then. And I will have done it. And I'll get my thing out. And then they keep not doing that. And so I think, well, I I guess I'll keep going. Sometimes I get scared and I go, should I write? I should write more skits or something like that. And I start not trusting that I have something to say every week. Why do I have something to say every week? And people have asked me this. Are you writing something down? You have No, and I'm not winging it either. I do have something specific. I think about something um, constantly. Uh, specific things. And then I live my whole life with that idea. So, for instance... I'll say, I'm thinking about time maps, about just time being a map. You could look at it, and it's two-dimensional. Now, I'll go through my whole week thinking about that, so I'll notice maps, and I'll notice when people talk about clocks or measuring. I'll notice when they're talking about memories, and I'll explore memories with people. Then I got a whole week of things to talk to you about. Just the same way as if I was uh, catching up with a kid who'd gone to college or something. And you say, what'd you do this week? And they go, well, I, had, I learned this in history class. I learned this. And they've got things to tell you because they've been engaged. They don't have to script it out. It's fresh. Have you ever asked like a kid about a movie they like or something? They can tell you in excruciating detail. Sometimes it can take longer than the actual movie. And uh, it's like the Twin, Twin Peaks The Return explainer video or something. So it just keeps going. Man, that I think was written down. But uh, if you have things that you need to say to other human beings, they manifest. They come out. And I would just 
ask you to think about your memories and think about the memories of others and think about all their current, who they are, are built on these things, on these vague memories, stories other people have told them about themselves. And you are too. When you ask, who am I? You know that other people had a hand in making you. You don't always have input. I mean, I got here, and I don't remember the first few years, but I got named. People associated me with a family, with a part of the uh, world. They taught me a specific language. They say, we eat this, we do that. And I got all sorts of things. Here's our, who's who we are. Here's what we believe. Here's what the universe is. I got that too. Here's exactly how things work, kind of. And other people might believe something different. You don't listen to them. So you come in and you don't even get to figure out things for yourself. They're thrust upon you. You're told who you are. You're kind of playing a role. And if that happens to everybody, if everybody's doing that, then who's the dreamer? What's going on here? How can we all be or how can there be no author? We're just all improvising, but we're improvising, but, you know, in really strict, uh, you know, what you call it, <laughs> thingies, confines, uh, parameters, rules, they're narrow. So I, I can only, uh, I, sometimes I just want to grunt at you or make sounds and artists do that. You know, the only way I can really express myself is making some kind of gurgling sound, maybe. Now, I think it's valid. And you might not be in a position to notice or feel it right, but I'm willing to take that chance. There's so little at stake with WFMU. And they say that joke, ha, ha, ha. But think about it. Uh, the stakes are they're artificially high in other media because there's money. And... And it's not existing money, it's future money. So people have already made and spent future money. And if you muck that up, you will screw up their lifestyle. And so, you, you know, you, let's say I'm a, a commercial broadcaster and I go, we've hired Hardy White for our flagship commercial station. And he's going to come on and he's going to do this show. And we need, he's got to have minimum then a thousand listeners. And then we got to have advertisers and all that. So there's a lot of things at stake because I've already, because I already bought the condo. There's a lot of money. And the person hiring you got more money and all that kind of stuff. So you come in and you go, all right, this is all our livelihoods depending on this. There's no way I'm not going to have a say in it. So listen to this, Hardy. This is what you're going to do. There's no way I'm going to let you be solely responsible for my well-being and my money and my future money. So here's what you're going to do. And all of a sudden, that's what it is. But see, here it doesn't work that way. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. And even if, uh, you know, let's say I did do something that was boring to people and they weren't going to give any money or something, or even the listeners, and I'd be gone. I'd be gone already. But, you know, what if there was something of value? And it wasn't something that anybody could hear normally. Hey, let's face it. If I was a YouTuber, I'd have like 10 people listening to the show. I was able to glom on to WFMU and their existing audience. And I came in, nobody knowing who I am, and got to talk to these people. And the reason they were there is because they have self-selected as open-minded people who are interested in ideas who want to go beyond something that's uh, driven by money or by greed. They are thirsty to have real insight. Or real, they want to notice more. They have realized that you, if you turn on your noticing device in your brain and you expand your senses, there's more art and music in the world than you realize. And that you can connect with other human beings and have wonderful experiences. You know, unless you've been brainwashed. So I've got this wonderful unbrainwashed audience that was there. And I come in uh, with my nonsense, which is 80% dirt, 20% gem. Just like you were looking for 
emeralds in uh, one of those North Carolina places where you sift through, find an emerald, and you go, oh, there's, little, uh, there's some emerald in this rock. That's what I am. That is not what you buy in jewelry stores. You could only find that here. And I think it's worth it. Oh, I think it's worth it. You know, because then you can, uh, don't tell me I haven't helped and connected with people. I have. And maybe it was once 10 years ago. Who cares? Doesn't matter. You know, that's why we keep going. And people do need to hear certain things. And they do need friends they don't know. And they do have to have these experiences of hearing other voices that don't have some kind of plan for them or that aren't cynical. And no, I don't expect people to, to listen or react. Or, you know, it's a message in a bottle as far as I'm concerned. I'm, you know, I've lived my whole life like that. It's not going to change. I'm not going to suddenly be uh, known. You can hear that. You can, uh, this is not, oh, uh, listen to, like for instance, I remember when uh, it was like Whoopi Goldberg or something, the first time uh, saw her one person show, you know, like, oh, this person's a gifted superstar, man. They're going places. You can tell, you know? And then there's others you listen to and you think, well, that is a, for, uh, that is a perpetual rough diamond. And that's never going to be something that appeals to the masses. But it doesn't mean I don't love it. And FMU's entire music library, about half of it is that. Are these things that just don't work on everybody. But when they do work, they can work exquisitely. It's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. It's like going into a, a, a used clothing store or something, and there's something that, you know, only you can appreciate. And, uh, and it's, why is it so cheap? Well, you know, because nobody wants it. <laughs> it's your lucky day. That's happened to me in stores before. You go, nobody wants this, this great thing, this treasure. So if I'm a treasure to you, oh, we're putting one over on the, uh, that's, we are really putting one over on on the evil forces aren't we because they're not going to they're not going to come and steal it from you because that's how it, that's how it goes in the world we live in is they 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 watch you they see what you like they steal it and then they make you do something to get it back they do that with water food ideas everything you gotta, you gotta pay to get your experience back. You gotta pay to get your everything, your world back. And I'm, I'll, I will never do that to you. You don't have to pay to get it back. I'm not taking it from you. We're sharing it together. And so it seems like something that nobody. I gotta make it seem like somebody, something nobody wants. Do you understand? I have a friend, I'm not going to say who he is, but he's a, he's a cartoonist, and he's a genius, and he's one of the most open-hearted, beautiful, enlightened human beings, and man, he's ripped off so bad, and uh, just, you know, nothing he can do about it, and he's stolen from, uh, because he's he's torn he's in a, uh, a a world in his heart that's about sharing and you know you don't even imagine that someone's going to take all come and take all the free food and go sell it and it's shocking you know so he's just too good and it's a curse and uh Nobody's going to steal. It's not going to be. Why are there no hardy imitators? Well, I hate to tell you, my friend. No, I know why. I think it's great. Try stealing a. So I've listened to Hardy and laughed. Tell me the joke. You can't. You can't steal it either. Because you've all. I'll tell you why. Because you've got to. Uh, 
you've got to like me. And I'm, sometimes I make that hard. <laughs> no. I th- you know what I'm saying? So I, I, it's, uh, it's like home cooking. You know, home cooking, it, it's, it's about the cook and the place and everything like that. You can't just take it and, and put it next to gourmet cooking and say, look at this, it's as good. You no, know, I don't get it. It clearly is not because it's out of context, because it's been ripped out of the time that it's supposed to be in. Because it's been something that is uh, preserved and, uh, you know, set in, uh, not Formica, what's this stuff like? Lucite. It's like an apple in Lucite. You can't eat an apple in Lucite. Right? Right. What? What? forgot what we were doing oh, I forgot what we were doing too I didn't though we were talking about time being all laid out at once but all the future bleeding over into the past how is that possible it's all set up it's all ready it's all set up just walk forward walk in the only direction you can go because things are fractured so you can't go backwards but there's still a backwards you just can't go that way I know, it's weird, but I just hope that you and your heart are comforted by the fact that we're both alive right now, or seemingly so. I'm a recorded voice, so it's really not clear. I could be long gone. But I hope you feel right now loved. I want you to be your own friend. Don't be against you. You know, and that you have the right to be against you, but... If I'm going to be for you, I can't be for that part. And I know that some people that are, are, you know, I love some people that don't fully love themselves, but I can't be down with that part. You know, you've got to understand that. If I'm for you, I've got to be for you. Uh, you, you can be against you as well, but I don't recommend it, actually. So, uh... Let's both be for each other. You know how it is. When you, when you love somebody, you don't want them to be hurt and you don't want them to hurt themselves. And love yourself the way that somebody might love you, even if they're not currently doing that. Say, well, I, I'm going to, until somebody loves me, I'm going to love me. And I'll be that person. I'm going to die alone anyway. I have a, a best friend in my head. And we talk all the time. And uh, that best friend's going to be with me right to the end, you know? And uh, I know that's weird, but it really, it helps me a lot. It's like, well, I will never be without my secret friend that exists in a reality that can't be killed, you know? So I'm excited about that. I'm not excited about dying or anything, but, you know, um, you're never alone if you have, like, a head full of friends. And I highly recommend it, you know, and uh, the real-life kind, too, if you can. But, you know, circumstances, it's not always you. So I don't think I have any friends. Probably not you, necessarily. It's a weird world. And understand that. We can be friends. Just imagine I am. It's all, it's all imaginary anyway. So put me in your head and have me do stuff. Just realize that the me sitting over here is not doing it. It's your hearty. And then you can do what you will. Is any of this meaningful to you? Is it? Do I need it to be? I wonder. I wonder if I need it to be. I know I can't, hand, I couldn't, I can't handle much uh, hurt. If you wanted to hurt me, it would be very easy. Tear me down. I want to make that guy feel bad about himself. So easy. It'd be so easy. Go ahead. You can insult me on the uh, message board, on the comments. And yeah, absolutely it will hurt me. It might. It might mess me up for days. And uh, it might give me pain that you can only imagine. And you, if you get off on that, if that's exciting to you, then you're in luck. You know? And that's so much power. Isn't that wonderful power? But it'd be greater if, if you didn't use it. And uh, I'd appreciate it, and I love you. And this is Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 
91.9 in Rockland County and New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org worldwide. Oh, I am so glad to be with you, and I'll see you again next week.